0: Let's take our Bibles tonight. Boy, I tell you, that's a good song, wasn't it? Well, I enjoyed that. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Secrets of Successful Living is the series we've been in, and we're kind of coming to a conclusion here on the, uh, this particular series, and so we're in the last lesson. We'll be, um, be dealing with life on the highest plane as we conclude our series on Secrets of Successful Living. Life on the highest plane. And so we're going to take our passage over there in Isaiah chapter 40. Let's begin in verse 27, and then we're going to go ahead and read through verse 31 to the end of the chapter there. Chapter 40, the book of Isaiah, beginning in verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known... Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for just the uh, Word of God. We thank you for the encouragement and the blessing, uh, just the uh, edifying that we can receive from it, the strength that we can glean from it. Lord, we are grateful that uh, we're not here alone on this earth, but you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. So you indwell us, you live in us, but then also you give us the word of God itself so that we can truly understand your mind. Help us, Lord, tonight to glean what you'd have us to and to grow as we are needing to grow and be glorified in everything that's said and done tonight. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the object of this particular series has been to share some of the biblical secrets of a vital, or I should say a vibrant and successful Christian life. That's kind of what we've been trying to do. And um, this particular verse, verse 31, is, uh, let's be honest, I mean, it could almost be the secret to all of it. I mean, we could find the summary of everything we're trying to say, I think, bound in this one verse. If you look at verse 31, the Bible says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Well, I'll tell you, we, uh, we live in a world where life kind of takes its toll on us, don't we? I don't think there's ever been a time in history where it didn't. I'm not one of these folks that believe we live in the darkest days of all the universe. I believe it's been a lot worse at some point in history. And I know that even in our own lifetime, there are places around us in the world where it's a lot worse than where we live. So I'm very grateful for where we're at and I'm thankful. But it doesn't matter whether you're in America or whether you're in some, uh, uh, some uh, continent, uh, dark continent, some someplace so hidden from all of mankind, it wouldn't matter. Whether you're up where the Hollands are up there, where it's just small little communities and you're isolated and alone so often, or you're here in uh, America, maybe in one of the largest cities, uh, the Lord is still needed in our lives because the world takes its toll and Satan takes his toll on our lives. As the Bible talks about here, it talks about weariness and fainting. Boy, we, we have to deal with that every day of our lives. You know the children of Israel they had enjoyed a miraculous the miraculous hand of God hadn't they And uh, they were supernaturally delivered out of Egypt they they were spared at the Red Sea We see that God uh, gave them his oracles there with the finger of God he wrote those commandments He provided for them in the wilderness he delivered them into the promised land He elevated them above all the nations of the earth He did all of those things. Still, they could be found bowing down to idols and worshiping, excuse me, and sacrificing their children on the altars of Molech. That's hard to believe, isn't it? As good as God had been to them, as wonderful as He had been, yet we find them in Scripture on a roller coaster ride of faith and foolishness. It's amazing, isn't it? So God placed them into captivity. Finally, he allows them to go, of course, the northern kingdom into Assyrian captivity, the southern tribe, uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, into Babylonian captivity. And we see here now in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 where God is now uh, using the prophet to speak about how he's delivering them out of that, how he's offering them hope. In spite of all their sin, in spite of the fact that they had rejected God, in spite of the fact that they had even sacrificed children on the altars of Molech, he's still saying, listen, there's still hope. Because of my infinite love and my mercy, I'm still willing to receive you and to bless you. He begins to work on that and share those things. The temple would be rebuilt. The worship would be restored. But Israel would never be at that pinnacle of success like they had been before. And yet, there was coming a day, the prophets speaking not only of the time when they would be removed and planted back in their nation, their land, but also about John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, God in flesh who would come. And so we see in chapter 40 of Isaiah a very prophetical passage and we see throughout those the portion of Scripture, whether it be through verses 1 all the way to the end of the chapter, that he's talking about something yet even beyond their day. He goes on to say or state that all created beings shrink to nothingness in comparison to the Creator. That when God created... No man, no woman stood there and said, hey, uh, let me offer a suggestion. Let me help you out a little bit, God. That didn't happen at all. The nations, compared to him, are like a little drop of water in a bucket in comparison to the ocean. Like a speck of dust compared to the whole earth itself. And yet, this only magnifies and it, and it only uh, elevates the love of God in our eyes to think that in spite of the fact that this world virtually is nothing compared to our God, He still was willing to send His only begotten Son to take our place and die on Calvary in our stead. The prophet would go on to direct us to use our reason as well as our senses. To consider who created the, the, the vastness of heaven and the universe, and to pay our respects and to bow our knee and worship to Him. He would finally commend us to trust wholly and completely in the Lord God. And He reproved any and, and all failure in our Christian lives. if there be any unbelief or any untrust toward God at all. He addresses these issues in chapter 40. So if we're honest with ourselves tonight, and we look back at Israel and we consider what they faced and what they dealt with and how they responded, as we consider God and how great and mighty and beyond us He is, I think we have to admit that there's a lot of failure in our Christian living and our service. I think we have to conclude pretty quickly that we're not everything we ought to be. We don't do everything we should do. And that really we fail quite often when it comes to God. The word of God convinces us of our failure. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29, he states it right here. He says, he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. You know, if we're honest, we all know and would admit that we've been faint quite often. That we've had no might even. That at some point we were powerless. Aren't we weary at times? We find ourselves falling at times. In verse 30 he goes on to say, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. If the youth are falling, if if they're faint and they're weary, then guess what? I'm sure that I am. And that's God's description of us in failure. And that's how he characterizes us as those that are Faint and have no might. Those that are weary and fallen in many cases. And if we're honest with ourselves, we admit that. We go to the place where we say, yes, indeed, that's me, Lord. Pew Research published an article on October the 17th, 2019, entitled, In U.S., Decline of Christianity Continues at Rapid Pace. In quotations, it said, An update on America's changing religious landscape, unquote. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip, they state. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 19, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. Down 12 percentage points over the past decade. That's 10 years. Now that's quite a bit. That's a major shift. 10%. Excuse me, 12%. Meanwhile, the the, the religiously affiliated share of the population, Uh, excuse me, I'm reading this wrong. Meanwhile, the religiously affiliated share of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26%, up from 17% in 2009. So the religious landscape is rapidly changing. But, but there's something even more alarming as you go into the statistics. The alarming aspect, to me, is the fallout of those who claim to be religious already. It's one thing for someone that, to not be religious at all, and we're seeing that, that diversity, we're seeing that split. But, but I'm really concerned that there are those that claim to be religious who are, well, no longer seeing the need for church in their lives. Although, they go on to say, although there has been a steep increase in the proportion of Americans who do not have a religious attachment, they remain a small minority of the U.S. population. Three quarters of Americans, 77%, identify with some organized religion, down from 90% in 1998 and 2000. So there's no doubt it's dropped significantly in the last 15 years or so, or 20 years. But here's the thing. Of the 77% of Americans who identify as being religious, only 64% belong to a church. That means then that 9% don't attend church at all. That's a problem. Now see, to me, that's a disparity that doesn't or should not exist. Now we can understand, all of us can understand why the world and those that have no biblical background would not attend or participate in church, but... Unfortunately, those who know better ought to. That's the group that we're losing. We're losing the group that should know better. We're losing the group that knows church is important or that was raised to understand what church was for. I'm not talking about just independent Baptists. I'm talking about all denominations in a sense. But the fact is, is that it is affecting our country. It's affecting our world. We are not going to church those who are religious. Those who see a need for it to say that they're religious. There's a problem with that and that's the concern and that's the real breakdown. You say, what are you bringing that up for? Because I believe he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increases strength and even the youth they shall faint and not be weary and young men shall utterly fall. Let me tell you, the problem is today is that church or religion today is not being empowered by the right source and as a result there's no there's no strength any longer so what we're finding is a departure from even any type of faith we're finding ourselves leaving the churches we're finding ourselves turning to the world just like the world already does we're falling we're faint we're weary the devil has wore us out and wore us down And again, I understand that the statistics don't include just fundamental Baptists. But I'm telling you that when you see Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodists and, uh, 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 you know, non-denominational. That's a religion, by the way. And you see Baptists. All of them departing. People that should know better. I believe it's a direct result of Satan getting his hand in there and really starting to mess us up and cause people to question whether God's real in many cases, causing people to wonder whether or not their upbringing and all the things that they had been taught are right. We've got a confused world out there. It's interesting to note who's in church and the modern day trends of today. The There's a Gallup poll out and it says, it's talking about changes in church membership by generation over time. And, 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 and here we have traditionalists, these are people that are born in 1945 or before, traditionalists, 1945 or before. 1998 to 2000, 77% of those folks were involved in church, had church membership. Today, 2016 to 18, it's 68% of them. That's a 9% change. Since 2000. Baby boomers from 1946 to 1964. It was 67% of them attended church. Now it's 57%. Another 10% lost since 2000. Generation X, 65 to 79. 62% in 1998 uh, to 2000 were estimated to be going to church. Now it's 54%. Another 8% loss. We're just seeing that there's a trend of folks that used to attend churches or be members of churches leaving churches. I'm telling you, the devil's wearing us out. Wearing us out. Sadly enough, we might even be able to say, well, I can wrap my mind around Catholics or around Presbyterians or some other faith or denomination because in some cases their doctrine doesn't align itself with the Word of God. Maybe they're not depending on the same God of the Bible. I get it. I understand why they would get discouraged, why they would get overwhelmed by the world. I get it. Well, then what's wrong with us? I'm telling you, we're weary. We have to admit some things. We're failing in our Christian lives. We're failing in our Christian service. Listen, there's no guarantee that next uh, a Wednesday a year from now you'll still be in church. There's no guarantee I'll be here yet. I'm not talking about dying or leaving to go move to another church. I'm talking about you may be out of church completely, and so may I. We got to be honest with ourselves. The devil he don't play games. So, we can look at the situation here and we say, you know what? If we take the Word of God and we look at what transpired in the Old Testament, we see how people respond to the New Testament, we have to admit we're, we have a potential that's who? Failure. And as we look at our own lives, observation itself convinces us of our failure. You know, you know it's true. Because you see it in your own life, I hope. Our own heart tells us it's true at times, that we fail in. How faint and weary we become, and yet, how slow we are to learn the way of victory and power, though. We know there's problems. What steps do we take to correct them? Our passage gives us some answers to that. It helps us to understand what the very root issue is and the great need that we have as believers that are faint, that are weary, that in the battle we grow tired. And you will grow weary at times. You will grow tired. But we don't want to fall, do we? Proverbs fourteen ten says, The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. We live in a very unusual day today, at least in my lifetime. A business website posted these alarming statistics in May of 2017. 12% of adults admit to telling a lie often or sometimes. 80% of women admit to telling harmless half-truths occasionally. This isn't a Christian website. 31% of people admit to lying on their resumes. 13% of patients lie to their doctors. You go to the doctor for what reason? Americans tell an average of 11 lies a week. So what we're finding in our culture is that lying is quickly becoming normal. It's normal. And, and you know what? Unfortunately, it's almost acceptable in most cases. It's becoming acceptable. We don't even think about it anymore. We just kind of expect it. In in, in the social media area that we live in, there's there's quite a bit of pressure for people to fit in and and and, and even to impress others, aren't there? Can I tell you the common reasons for lying? Again, this is You know, I'm looking these up and I'm getting some statistics, but first of all, lying to save face. You lie to save face. Shift blame. Avoid confrontation. You'll lie to avoid confrontation. We'll lie to get one's way. Lie to be nice. Or lying to make yourself feel better. These are some of the most common reasons for lying. What people at least admit to. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that lying is popular. It shouldn't surprise us that it's rather normal in the world we live in, because let's face it, lying is pretty natural, right? It's a natural humanistic thing, it's, uh, 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 it's rooted in the father of all lies, Satan. He's a liar from the beginning. Why wouldn't his children be liars? That makes sense. But unfortunately, lying is becoming more entrenched in the lives of believers today. Many of the things we just talked about, the common reasons for lying, are found in the lives of believers. In Revelation 21, verse 8, turn there, would you please? Revelation 21, 8. I wonder if lying bothers you as a parent when your children lie to you. Does that bother you? I I hope it does. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers sorcerers and idolaters. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty pretty sordid list there. It goes on to say, though, and all liars... Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How serious is this matter of lying then? Well, God says it's the difference between heaven and hell, and that's something. And, and you know, I'm just going to say this. I'm always, uh, uh, you know, I listen. It's we lie to ourselves. You know, people, well, you know, I'm saved, so I'm not going to have to worry about that. I mean, I know what the Bible says there, but but you know what? I, I'm good to go. I said this prayer. I I bowed my knee. I got baptized. I did all that stuff. Do you know you could be lying to yourself even? You know what? You Can you trust a liar? I mean, and yet we'll lie to people. We'll say things that are untrue. And then we'll turn around and wonder... And say, Well, I'm, I'm good to go. At least I don't have to worry about that one. Man, I'm going to tell you something. If you can lie to people, you better make sure you haven't lied to yourself. You just might fit right in that chapter 21. Someone says, Yeah, well, I'm, I'm saved. Well, if you're a liar, I can't believe you. You know what I'm saying? I remember one time I was preaching one time and I said, You're all a bunch of liars. Later my wife said, Mark, you shouldn't have said it that way. I said, You're probably right, but it's probably true. But anyway, aren't we really at times? I mean, don't you don't have to use your tongue to lie, by the way. It's amazing. This Facebook and all these different media outlets that we have, we better be real careful with that stuff. You start to stretch the truth. You start to try to look good in the eyes of others. Try to live up to the expectations of others. Be careful with that stuff. It shouldn't surprise us to hear what a science of honesty study showed at the American Psychological Association's 120th Annual Convention. They stated, it was in Orlando, Florida, they stated, they said, Telling the truth when tempted to lie can significantly improve a person's mental and physical health. Can you believe that? A secular group came up with that. Now, the only question I had is, I wonder how much money it cost in research to learn that valuable nugget of information. I wonder how much they spent to do that. When they could have ran down to the used bookstore and got a good old King James Bible for about fourteen ninety five and found it. We got to be careful that we don't err or get off course. We got to be careful with that. Look at, look at. Um, let me, let me. I'll turn to that in a minute. Look, if you would, in First um, John one, verse eight through ten. I mean, the honest believer has to admit that they have failed in their Christian life at some point. I just think it's absolutely, it's just imperative. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, on one hand, if we say we've never sinned, then we make him a liar. That's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Then we turn around and say he's, we make him the liar. We've got to be careful with that. The sad reality is that failure is overshadowed by, fortunately, the sad, the, the, the overshadowed by. Uh, the, the reassurance of hope, God says, Listen, you confess that sin, you can have it forsaken, you forsake it, you can have it forgiven, you 're good to go i 'm glad about that. so we 're failures it 's a very positive message we 're failures, right we 're weary we 're tired, we 're faint, and at times we have fallen. we 've got to get out of this mindset that we 're such great little Christians. You know, this idea that somehow because I go to church or because I, I am involved in a ministry or because I, 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 I do this or do that, uh, I, I read my Bible and try to pray every day, preacher, and, and, and that's great, you know, and I, I hate that word "try," But nonetheless, uh, uh, you know, I'd like you to drop that one at least. But, but the fact is, is that we think somehow, we have convinced ourselves that we're so all that. That's a dangerous place to be in the Christian life. So we come to the conclusion, just like Israel had failed, just like Israel had gotten weak and faint and they even fell, just like the, the, the New Testament uh, disciples and, and the, the apostles, they, they became weary and, and they, they struggled at times in their lives. We too will have times in our lives where we're struggling, where we may feel weak and faint. So what's the solution? What, or should I say, what causes that? Well, first of all, The primary cause of our failure is ignorance of the resources which are at our disposal. We don't even know what we have available to us. That's often the reason why we're failing or why we're faltering, why we remain weak, why we remain wore out. Because we don't even realize the resources that are at our disposal. We are are ignorant to them. Turn to Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. Hosea 4, 6. Notice this passage. What a, what a powerful passage this is, too, by the way. Man, it's, it's a bombshell, too. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. <clears throat> I'm not going to wait for everybody to find it. <laughs> I've got it written out, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> My people are destroyed. Listen to this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge you believe that? I mean, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt not be, uh, shall be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. But right off the bat, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God points out a, I mean, a very serious and sad reality here. That knowledge is lacking. The failures of his people are a direct result of a lack of knowledge. He points out that this lack of knowledge is a choice that was made. That his people rejected knowledge. You see that? Notice again, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee because thou hast rejected knowledge. He's implying that they did that then. You know what, when we don't know things, in many cases, we can tell ourselves we don't, but I'm going to tell you, uh, in most cases, it's because we don't want to know. Have you read that lately? Have you checked out what the Bible says about that? I'm I'm happy the way I am. And yet we're being destroyed. The devil's overtaking us. We're we're being... we're being wrecked and ruined in battle, and, and our, we're weary in our flesh, and we're, 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 we're fainting, and we're falling, and we're wondering, why, 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 why can't we stand strong in the world in which we live? We don't have the knowledge we need. And in many cases, we have chosen not to be knowledgeable, not to have the answers, not to know what we need to know. That's what he's telling us. Later in the passage, It said that they had forgotten the law of their God. If they forgot the law of their God, then they must have known it at some point. So not only is there a lack of knowledge now, and they chose not to to have that knowledge, but at some point they may have even known it, and they've allowed themselves to forget about it. That's crazy, isn't it? And yet, wait a second, don't we do the same thing? I'm about fed up to hear with preachers who who used to preach standards, who used to preach on a King James Bible, who used to say that music had a standard to it. I'm about fed up with them now turning around after 10 or 20 years of in the ministry saying, well, I guess we're just going to have to compromise. We just have to give in. I guess the Word of God has changed. I don't know what's going on here, but what I do know is somebody had some knowledge, but they've chosen to forget it. And I'm tired of a people who won't support their pastors who are standing in those areas. That's a problem, folks. And you'll be tempted not to stand at some point, possibly. You'll be tempted to grow weary and well-doing. And if you're not careful, you'll choose to forget what you used to know. And then you'll reject knowledge. That's a dangerous place to be because that's why we're failing. Notice Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29. If I told you that if your kids did 100 jumping jacks, 50 sit-ups, and 100 push-ups every day, and they'd turn out to be successful citizens of heaven and society. I think you'd probably start making them do that. But how foolish would we be at some point because they gripe and complain enough to tell them stop doing it? We got teenagers and young people across this country in good fundamental churches that are whining and crying to their parents and their parents say, fine, forget it. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to dress the way I tell you. You don't have to do what I've asked you to do. You can go ahead and run over here and go over there and hang out with them and do this. All because they don't want to have to fight the battle. It's the same thing. He has the answers. The question is, will we apply the truths? In most cases, we knew the answer. We have chosen now to forget the answers. And in some cases now we've said, you know what, I'm just tired of learning anything new because I'm tired of doing all the stuff i got to do. It's bad enough, what do i got to do now? Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Once again, a lack of knowledge. He says to this group of, of, of believers, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Now, whether God's dealing with Israel or, or the church, it doesn't really matter. The tragic theme continues to this day. We err because we do not know the scriptures. When well, you say, What's that word, er, mean? That's a good question. To wander from the right way, to deviate from the true course or purpose. We are erring today. We are wandering from the right way. We're deviating from the true course or purpose for a lack of knowledge. And someone says, well, if preachers would just share that truth. I'm not convinced that's always the answer. I'm not convinced that sometimes if we just would open our Bibles and read it and study it, not just read it to get our duty done, but read it for a desire to really get to know the Master, we'd be amazed what God could reveal to us personally. And then, if our heart was that open to His Word, it may even be open to His man. I believe that you can sit and listen to somebody teach in a class. I'm not talking about church now. I'm talking about at the college level or high school level. You can go to class every day and get nothing. And you know what? That's true in a church too. If we better be careful, we are. Listen, we have to admit that we're not everything we ought to be as believers. That in our, in our Christian lives, there's some failures. The question is, why? Lack of knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge. We don't even realize the resources that are available to us to overcome our failures. And so, in this particular passage, the picture is really clear here. To, to wander carries the idea of a, a lack of focus, doesn't it? It seems to to, to point out a distraction that somehow uh, plays a part. To err, I mean, to wander from the right way, to deviate from the true course. It's kind of like, I feel like erring has to do with, I, I'm just kind of like, I'm no longer focused where I ought to be focused. I'm, I'm being distracted from the direction I'm going and I find myself kind of focusing off in the distance and I just kind of, Wander off the bright path. Listen, I don't think that Christians intentionally leave true biblical Christianity. I believe that they get distracted. I believe that they err from the truth. That they have a tendency to drift away from truth. And then they find themselves in another place. When they finally shake themselves like the prodigal did and come to their senses. But in some cases, they're so far away that their pride won't let them return. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. How critical is it that we remain focused and never lose sight of the goal? Turn to Isaiah 40 again. Let's look at verses 28 and 29 as we kind of bring this to a close. Again, there's this lack of knowledge he talks about. But then he says, because thou hast rejected knowledge. So that means they had it at one point, but now some have just chosen not to receive it any longer, to not know it anymore, to put it out of their mind, so to speak. Notice what he says in Isaiah again, verse 28 and 29, verse chapter 40. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Now I need to tell you, in this passage, we learn that there was a people who had known, who had heard, but at some point they had failed to appropriate the truth that was that they were that they were exposed to. But Praise the Lord. He says, listen, he says, I'm the eternal God. I created all the earth. And you know what? I never quit and I never grow weary and I never get tired. And uh, you you know what? You can't scratch the surface of my knowledge. I know so much. You don't know anything compared to me. But here's the funny thing about the Lord. He's willing to share his strength with us. And he's willing to share his knowledge with us. He, although he is so far beyond us, is willing to reach down and, and literally, he was willing to come take his place side by side with us. There is no excuse whatsoever for us to continue to fail consistently in our Christian lives. We ought to be getting victory in our Christian lives because the knowledge is available. The strength is at our disposal. We have God, the God of endless potential and power that, is in, that will enable us to overcome. He says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator. And he's willing to give us that power and strength. The primary cause is ignorance. That's why we fail so often. Ignorance of the resources that are available to us. You say, I don't know why I keep getting tripped up. That's a lack of knowledge. And yes, there's responsibility on everybody's part. But let me say this. I'm going to tell you that when it's all said and done, I didn't learn as much in Bible college as I learned on my own. The greatest lessons I've ever learned were not in a classroom. They were in the classroom of life. And I'm going to tell you, if you're waiting for some teacher or pastor or some Christian friend to lead you to the place of victory in your Christian life, you are going to lose. You better figure it out that you're responsible for your own growth. Yes, use the tools that are available that God provides, but there's no pastor that's responsible for your growth. There's no husband or wife responsible for your growth. There's no parent responsible for your growth. It's time we take responsibility for our own growth, that we recognize there's a God in heaven bigger than all of us, and he's opening and availing his word up to us and saying, I have all the knowledge. You want some, come get it. I have all the strength and the power. You want some? Come and get it. We've got to come get it. We've got to make a personal decision to do that. And then use the tools God's given us. Yes, the Word of God, pastors, teachers, friends, family, loved ones, everyone, anyone that we can glean from and grow from, God puts them in our path to help us. But until we choose to know, no one will be able to help us. I just want to encourage you to be honest with yourself about your Christian life. Take some time this week maybe and just start asking yourself and ask the Lord, Lord, what areas am I failing in? What areas do I need to tidy up? What areas are, am I weak in? Which areas am I weary in? Which areas am I even falling in? What do I need to know? What I can tell you, Lord, is this: I want to know. If you got that attitude, he'll reveal truth to you. You'll eventually get the answers you need that will enable you to be victorious and successful in your Christian life. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all that you do for us, and Father, we're thankful for what you mean to us and lord i I, I hope that something that was said was a blessing. I feel it was a little scattered of kind of all over, but Lord, I do pray, Father, that you'd help us to really evaluate our own lives, to consider where we're at with you and to be honest and not to somehow set our standard on others around us to compare ourselves one with the other, but instead to compare ourselves to you who's high and lifted up and to your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life. And Lord, may we truly... Seek your face and help us, Father, to realize we need to learn more about you. We need to have knowledge. Knowledge of you, knowledge of your son, knowledge of your word and your workings. Not more knowledge of the world, but more knowledge of you, our God. We need you, we love you, in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed tonight the music